clap your hands, everybody, for Philadelphia 76ers. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Overlap. Of course, we are a soccer podcast, but I, by the way, I didn't tell Rihanna I was going to do this. Uh, I would be remiss if I did not mention the fact that our Philadelphia 76ers uh, pulled off what can only be described as an unimaginative and ridiculous, unpredictable win against the Boston Celtics last night. Again, last night being time of recording. And um, yeah, part of part of my evening was definitely eventful, uh, not just watching the game, but just seeing Rion's deranged tweets, uh, probably drunken deranged tweets, I should specify, throughout this game. So um, very much, very much enjoyed my evening. And now I get to spend an hour talking to Rion. So yeah, life's pretty good. What's up, dude? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I, I can promise I was definitely sober last night. I cannot promise that the Celtics players were, <laughs> which was the most hilarious part of that game. Um, yeah. Wow. James Harden, not potentially not cooked as a scorer. It's very, it's, it's, it's hilarious watching, having watched him for most of that net series, especially even like the what was it, game four where he missed everything and missed so many layups and so many shots that were from like five feet away. Uh, and basically turn back the hands of time uh, for, for game one against Boston. And now it's like, awesome. Well, I, I, we can be perfectly okay with getting the doors blown off of us in game two. That's fine. Uh, yes, that is what I expect will happen. Um, hopefully MB gets to sit and get another few days and still and play the rest of this series still injured definitely still injured <laughs> but maybe slightly less injured just basically like an extra four days of ice packs that's <laughs> that's, that's all we're asking for to be honest basically, yeah yeah i mean look i kind of expect the same thing tomorrow night um to fully just get blown out um and if and if we don't like the one thing i took away from last night even if we lost last night the fact that we kept it that close the entire game without Embiid should absolutely terrify Celtics fans. Like, legitimately, both for the fact that your own team capitulated and the fact that James Harden put up record numbers and the Celtics only had, like, 10 fouls the entire game. Like, there was no defense played whatsoever. Yeah, um, yeah. To be so honest, it's all, like, 95% from, from the field. <laughs> it's like, and, and, and we somehow, somehow won the game. Didn't make yeah. any sense. No, I'm honestly, we, we talk about like soccer being a very ridiculous, stupid, silly sport. Um, last night was basically the basketball equivalent to be honest. So, <laughs> it's so, so anyway, weird. yeah, you don't see that really was. very often in, in, in basketball. Very rarely. Um, and there are other weird things, of course, that took place across Europe this, this past weekend, Rian. Um, gosh, well, first off, I got to see you this weekend, which was fun. Um, I said that like I said I don't know why that came across facetiously. That was genuinely an enjoyable dinner. Um, and then, of course, I think I spent like most of the day Sunday either running errands or watching soccer in the rain because there was like nothing really to do outside because it was just <clears throat> honestly it gave the aura of being in London. So I effectively was at a Premier League match. Oh, nice. Same yeah, same vibe. Yeah, exactly. Um, but. Rian, we're going to talk a lot about England. We're going to talk a, a lot about Spain as well as these title races and relegation battles seem to edge closer and closer and nervily so for a lot of teams still. I think we both are sort of in agreement over the last couple of weeks that 
maybe not the title race necessarily, but the relegation battles in both countries will come down to the absolute wire and very much the last day. So before we get to any title or relegation battles, we, we want to start with our game of the weekend. Um, Liverpool 4, Spurs 3. I'm not apologizing for ruining that scoreline. It's been like two days. So <laughs> that, that I'm assuming all of our listeners know about or have actually watched the game. I have a confession to make, Rian. Uh, my confession is at 3-1. I, uh, I said, ah, you know what? I got some things to do. I got errands to run. I'm going to go to the gym. My uh, my gym does not have service, by the way. And so went to the gym, came back, and saw 4-3. And I was like, you have got to be kidding me. Um, I violated the one rule that I have, which is don't give up until it's over. <laughs> or don't stop watching something until it's over. So long way of saying, let's talk about this game. Um, Liverpool go 3-0 up in what seems like a blink of an eye. Yeah. What What happened? Three three games in a row now for Tottenham, right, where they concede very early. Um, thankfully, this time they kept it to just three after 15 minutes. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, three straight games of that for Tottenham, just poor starts. It's something that we saw pretty often under Antonio Conte as well, right? Like they, a lot of first halves where they'd be terrible, and then second half they would turn it on. So this felt... It's felt very similar to to a lot of their games this season, right? Um, maybe the caliber of the comeback was a bit more impressive than previously, and and honestly, um, even after the first fifteen twenty or, or so minutes, you know, Tottenham did create like multiple chances for the for the last twenty minutes of that first half. Right, like obviously they get the goal back um, at the end of the half or close to the end of the half, but they got had a couple chances before that, and it was all kind of turning even before the halftime came. And so, and and then they obviously continued on in the second half. So I think you think about this two straight games between that and the comeback against Manchester United, where you know they obviously. The players played with a lot of pride, at least. Like, like yeah, I, I assume that maybe some of that has to do with how pride? poorly things. Do, do you mean, I mean, respect for their wallets instead of having to actually pay Spurs fans again for traveling? Yeah, maybe they were just so terrified of having to pay <laughs> the Spurs fans back again. Maybe that's what propelled them to the to the draw against uh, United, and then come and then coming back here against Liverpool after. After being said, oh, there are actually consequences for playing poorly here. That's that's tough. Um, so yeah, you could be right. You could be right. Um, <laughs> but but I, I think altogether, it's 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 obviously encouraging on one end to see that side of it. Um, again, though, those first few goals, like it's it's kind of just some basics, basic lapses, right? Um, can't blame the the formation. Again, can't blame the formation here. Uh, and it's just the, the the kind of weirdly lack of, of intensity at the beginning of these games, um, especially these last two, is, is very concerning. But I don't know. At the same time, I'm 
gonna give them the credit for making that comeback, right? And it's not it's not every single player's fault that Lucas Mora decided to play a great through ball in the last second for, for Diego Jota, like for whatever reason. It was a beautiful ball. Yeah, for whatever reason, he decides that I'm going to play the ball backwards here instead of <laughs> forward. <laughs> There's like 60 seconds left in this game. Um, so I, I'm going to give the team themselves a lot of credit for that comeback. And then, I mean, yeah, that's that's just a really unfortunate end to the game there. And Liverpool really just end up getting out of that with their just really lucky. Um, but I, I from, from you... What did you kind of make of, I know you, the first half was what you saw the most of, but um, what did you kind of make of Liverpool's performance? Uh, I know I kind of got into the Tottenham side of it, but what did you kind of make of Liverpool's performance as a whole? Yeah, you know, we, we've we had, maybe not you and I, but I think the general footballing world has talked a lot about how Trent has moved into midfield, right? Or right-sided midfield role, and he's sort of, added an additional player, an additional body into that space. And we've talked about, I guess the world has talked about how in the last five games, he's, he's racked up a, a, basically one assist a game, um, sometimes two. And that has been a big, a big topic of conversation. What I thought was interesting about this first half, and especially in those early attacking sequences when Liverpool were absolutely dominating, what to me was really important was purely the dominance of Liverpool's midfield in a number standpoint and in a counterpress standpoint. It felt like watching Liverpool of 2018, 2019 all over again, because maybe it's some combination of Spurs not being a very good counterpressing team. <laughs> like, or, or they don't really have the players in midfield to play through the press or play against right. it. Exactly, that's, yeah. that's a massive part of it. But at the same time, Liverpool absolutely dominated that aspect of the game and and i think that played into their hands very well right adding an extra midfielder allowing trent to do the same thing he's done over the last month or so and i think what you saw was this unrelenting wave after wave of pressure and liverpool attack that consistently went through the middle like to me th that was the the most shocking part is like they weren't using trent robertson all the time in wide areas robertson of course, more of a wide player will certainly get forward. But if you look at like attack the attacking sequences map, like a lot of it came through the middle. It was like they were just driving right through Spurs. So that was one of like the, the things that stood out to me. And I guess beyond that, what I appreciated the most about Spurs was their inability to actually, uh, I guess, not give up a goal after like the 15 minute mark until obviously Diego Jota's, um, uh, you know, assist from Lucas Mora. Um, I think Spurs actually, they look nervy at times. Uh, of course, defensively, I think you will almost always at Anfield, but the composure in, in which I think they defend in that second half, at least the second half pieces that I saw, that impressed me the most. And their biggest problem probably is just not capitulating within the first 20 minutes of a game at this point. Because beyond that, Spurs do have individual quality here and there. I'm not saying that this is a good team by any stretch. They're still an unserious team. Um, but what they did in that second half against uh, Liverpool at Anfield, I don't think you can just write that off. Agreed. Yeah, look, and look that, that, as you said, that individual quality is still there, right? Harry Kane 
unrelentingly still scoring goals, no matter how good or bad his Tottenham team is, right? Um, and then, obviously, Son has had a poor season by his standards, right? But uh, I guess it's all about how do you think he's going to age from here, realistically? He is, he is um, if not 30 yet, he's he is 30 years old. I, I could be wrong, could be 29, but... Um, there's obviously quality in the team and everything is so reliant on what happens. I mean, they're not the only team with this and you can say this about every single club maybe, but everything is so reliant on what happens this summer. Uh, specifically with their coach replacing their director of football. Um, and obviously some really big decisions on the, on potential departures and obviously they're going to need to add some more quality to the side. So I, I, I don't think we expect Spurs to finish in the, in top four, right? Like it's, it's, it's very difficult now. It's, it's very difficult for Liverpool, I think as well, but um, this things can change. Things can, things can change quickly for them, depending on, on some very key decisions that are going to be made. And I think that from the fan point of view, being so disenchanted with a lot of this season, as I expect some Spurs fans have been, um, <laughs> to at least see the fight in these last couple games, that's kind of all you can ask for, right? Like to for like that's like at the minimum, right? Is to be is is for that effort to be shown and to feel something watching your team, right? Like I feel, I, I, I feel like you're experience a little like, bit. Just yeah, the, yeah. Uh, I was like, yeah. speaking from experience, I've felt nothing for a bit, for a while. <laughs> so uh, you know, to, to feel something is is all is like the least that you can ask for. Um, yeah, I want to just go back to the point that you were talking about with Liverpool, though, for a second. Uh, how everything's now seems so much more central, right? And I noticed that too. And I do think, like, with Trent moving to that kind of basically more or less playing uh, inverted fullback and, and he's more in those half spaces especially i think it was the first goal like where he like is literally in the half space right outside the um penalty box and plays a wonderful cross uh and, and that's and that's really a good spot for him too because he can that is an area that he has crossed from in the past and not necessarily been because he was supposed to be in that position but he is really good at those kind of early crosses. Those early crosses are like what I think one of the things <laughs> that brings him to another level, right? But it's like one thing in his arsenal of, of great passes. And it helps also Liverpool when they lose the ball, he's already in the center of the pitch, right? Like it makes, it does help with the counter press for, for them too. So I think on the attacking side of it, it's really interesting watching him play this position. And, he, and I think that it's a position that he can for sure excel at as long as the team has the ball a lot, right? Because the flip side of this is what happened in that game whenever they lost the ball. <laughs> and it's yeah. not necessarily not necessarily his fault because it's just his the, the nature of the position he's playing means that there's going to be more space out wide, right, when the ball turns over. And it wasn't only happening from his side of the pitch too, Robertson side as well because I now with Trent moving inside really Robertson's not going forward as much and he's it's pretty much a 
it turns into a back three in possession with him, Van Dyke, and Konate. The things we were seeing off the ball, what Spurs were doing, makes me fairly bearish on whether this is like actually something they can keep playing for the next season, uh, or at least it'll be really contingent on players that are probably not in the team right now, like like signings. I mean, like that, that I think is going to be contingent on their signings of whether they could actually keep playing this this uh, setup in possession. Because when they turn the ball over, the if you look at a lot of Spurs' chances, especially after they, they went down three, a lot of them, they're getting out wide, and there's so much space. And naturally, like Salah nor Luis Diaz on the other side are 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 going to give you enough defensive cover to to stop those um stop those transitions from happening and in the midfield they were not able to close that space out wide uh quick enough either but there was just huge huge um amounts of space on each sides of um whether it was Robertson on the left of the back three or Konate on the right of the back three. So I'm, I'm, I'm impressed with the fact that club has tried this and, and honestly, why not try it? Cause they, they this is not going to be a season. They finished in the top four. I just, I just think it's too far from them. And, and he probably recognized that at some point and um, at least it was going to be really challenging so now is the time to try this stuff, and he's trying it. And I think on the attacking side, there's some promise for sure, but I'm not convinced that this is defensively a viable option going forward next season. Yeah, you mentioned, I think, the one key thing about space being left behind uh, and that being an issue, and I'm really glad you brought that up because I was trying to think about, for once, like possible solutions to this problem. Like You think about Trent, for example being so far forward now in this kind of hybrid inverted role that doesn't necessarily solve the problem of him tracking back it it like it just eliminates that from his responsibilities on the field right now and i forget which spurs goal it was but you could almost see him sprinting back again kind of like in that napoli game earlier in the season uh you saw him sprinting back uh, like at the very last second to as if appear <laughs> as if he was making an effort The problem I think that Liverpool, to your point, are going to run into with this back three is it's very, very individualistic. And what I mean by that is if you have either Virgil van Dijk or Konate injured, needing some rest, whatever, I don't think Liverpool have the cover to pull off a back three because, quite frankly, like you need someone who can cover space very quickly. And in transition, I think Liverpool are screwed because... Once again, their midfield's aging. They won't have the cover that they potentially would need. Fabinho's not going to get back to fill in as a back four quickly enough. Now, I did like seeing Harvey Elliott and, um, gosh, who else started alongside Harvey Elliott in this game? I believe it was uh, it was Curtis Jones. Thank you. Yes, um... Curtis Jones. Um, I did like seeing both of them together um, instead of Henderson. I thought that was a fantastic experiment slash starting 11. But... Again, I don't think that their their footballing knowledge and skill set is is fully, you know, I guess matured 
if that's the right word. Yeah, I, I mean, they're they're no, they're, you, you're. I know you're dancing around it, but they're not. They're not the guys that are going to provide defensive cover. Like, I, there's mm-hmm. a reason that Harvey Elliott had not been playing for a little while, right? Like, he did get a good a run of starts, um, the pre World Cup, uh, and that was the issue the entire time there too. Like, he's not, he's not right now good enough to help with their counter pressing and. As we know so well, if two, like one, two areas of that counter press breaks down, it's, you know, what we've seen all season, it's a lot easier to get at their back line and and you're, and you're putting um, their defenders in more one V one situations. And unfortunately from, I mean, Konate, I think has been really good this season, but no Van Dyke has had a, um, a pretty down year for his own standards and, we saw it on, I think it was the first Spurs goal. He's a lot easier to get past 1v1s now. And that's that's not really conducive to playing a high line and playing the way that Liverpool want to play. Bingo. Yep, you hit the nail on the head. Well, Liverpool um, winning 4-3 against Spurs at home. I think I'll leave you with this stat, Rian. Liverpool now have the most 90th-minute winners in Premier League history with 41. And Anfield is actually the ground with the most 4 to three match results in uh, the Premier League. All eight of those matches, by the way, have been home wins for Liverpool. So nothing, nothing that's, short of coincidence, I'm sure. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, the that's the luck to there. There's, there's such some some sort of luck there to be able to win every one of those games. Is um, it's hilarious. Um, yeah. <laughs> Ellie, shall we move on to the the two title contenders? Please, yes. Um, let's talk a little bit about City Fulham over the this past weekend. And uh, Arsenal-Chelsea, of course, took place today. Um, Rion, with, with City and Fulham, uh, from a fantasy Premier League standpoint and having two City defenders on in my starting 11, I was extremely disappointed in this. Um, but Erling Holland has officially scored 50 goals in all competitions this season. Um, so I'll start there with just the reminder that the Cyborg is, in fact, on track to tie, I believe, the record of 34 goals um, by Mo Salah and Luis Suarez um, joint in terms of goals in the Premier League specifically. He, he probably will break it this season, if not next or the season after that. Again, bar injury. Um, but Fulham, as a reminder, Rian in this game had one shot on target. Um, conveniently, they scored uh, scored with that shot on target. <sighs> City continue a, a tear. I, I, is there anything other than no I... that? <laughs> yeah, no, no. I mean, look, this game was was this game was a bit more difficult for them, and as you'd expect, like City of or not City, uh, Fulham, Fulham have been a very tough team defensively. So, very few teams have been able to. Um, fully like outplay them and, and, and like dominate them. Um, but no, I mean, all that matters for city at this point is are the results. Right. Uh, and, and it's kind of the same thing for on Arsenal side, but all that matters are the results and also being able to make like changes game to game. Now, when you think about the champions league tie coming up um, and this game was a bit like, 
a bit more of a scrappier one. They went with the penalty and then a, a, a great shot from Julian Alvarez, which is just like amazing. Oh man. Yeah. That is, that is terrifying because if we're being realistic, like that's, that's probably the front two <laughs> for the next three or four years. Um, it's yeah. Terrifying, terrifying that a player like that has been basically like bedded into this team and, and he's going to play a lot more next season. He's going to play a lot more. And, and it's funny, like considering how they played against Arsenal specifically, that kind of like two man game that they're running with, with De Bruyne and in Holland, it's not inconceivable to see Julian Alvarez slot into that kind of De Bruyne position playing with and forming a relationship with Holland. Um, obviously not as good of a passer passers kevin de bruyne like who a, is god forbid yeah right yeah <laughs> but but uh the the what you know, he did you know i'm not as as good of a shooter as james harden yeah yeah like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure <laughs> uh but that to say that like he might not provide the same amount of assists but man like he's he's gonna shoot more and 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 those two could form a, a really devastating partnership um yeah, a great a great win for a good win for for City. They get through that game. Um, I have to double check who they're playing this weekend. Uh, Leeds. Uh, <laughs> oh yes, we did talk about this before before hopping on here. Yes, yes. They uh, <laughs> so welcome back, Big Sam. Oh my god! Wow, <laughs> it's just oh, this stuff is. Do you remember? Do you just I. I want to put this into the context for a second. Do you remember about three weeks ago when we were talking about who has the harder run in between now and the end of the season? And you were like, oh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'd lean to Arsenal having a slightly harder you know, schedule between now and the end of the season. And I was like, it's not even freaking close. Arsenal have a harder schedule between now and the end of the season. I think they, well, they played Chelsea today, but they also, I believe, still have to play Newcastle yeah. somewhere in there. So, like, yes, yeah. Yeah. I think Brighton might be in there as well. I can't remember. Yeah. I can't remember for sure. But um, yeah, it, what a, what a game to welcome back a big Sam. I, was, I I thought you were gonna say like also like a couple of weeks ago. I was saying I was saying literally said we big Sam had ended in like this Premier League era oh. because of the last time he was here. He got relegated. Like he was, he did get relegated. He was literally brought in to help a team not get relegated, and they got relegated. And yet, we still got another. We still got another plan. God has another plan for him, bro. It's like I don't know. But, but it'll be hilarious. Let's. It'll be funny either way, I guess. Um, but to stick on to the to the city part of it, yeah, they have. That's. I mean, that's their game next before. Um, well, actually, I guess they play West Ham tomorrow. Gosh, I forgot about and, that. They're still yeah, midweek games West this week. Ham, yeah. yeah, they play West Ham tomorrow, and then I believe Leeds over the weekend. So, there you go. yeah, that, honestly, I think about that as a game that they're going to be able to rotate and, and get ready to play Real Madrid. Like, <laughs> and you and and let me just add something there: Real Madrid have to play a full squad this weekend. They have the Copa del Rey final against Osasuna. So from a rest standpoint, if we're looking towards Champions League, this could not favor City more. It literally could not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so from, from a City point of view, yeah, business as usual. Keep it. They, they get another three points. Um, you expect them to pick up 
six more by the end of the weekend. Uh, and I guess that's probably a good enough um, segue into the Arsenal side of this, right? Yeah, I mean, look, you and I have circled this. Sorry, let me rephrase that. I circled this as a trap game for Arsenal. Uh, you circled this <laughs> yeah. as a game in which you could lose money. <laughs> I I had a very different take on this. I always thought that this was going to be a difficult game for Arsenal. It turns out I should have just listened to you like I should have do in most footballing situations. Um, Arsenal were similar to Liverpool, 3-0 up after, what, 30, 35 minutes, something like that. Um, 10 shots on target. I mean, I think your tweet, um about Chelsea actually getting one goal was too perfect the Denzel clip like that that's basically how I kind of felt about watching parts <laughs> of this game uh, they did get something like they got a goal it's more than oh, yeah <laughs> most yeah. games under Frank Lampard so uh, look be- before uh, before you say anything else just what do you want to say about Chelsea before we get to the the title race in Arsenal because this felt like a sad excuse for a team. And we talked about bare minimum being effort. Like, how do you do it? I guess. I, I don't know if I said it on the, on the pod last week, or maybe I said it after we'd, um, when we were just chatting afterwards, but like, I mean, everything with this Chelsea side now, like, you're only surprised if you're not watching like you're you're that's that's yeah. it you're only yeah. you're only surprised if you're not watching this team so the fact of like they're down three to a team that that quite like simply could still win the title like after 30 minutes is should not be surprising considering <laughs> like i don't know every game that chelsea have played in in the last six months and their position in the table like it's not that surprising when you think about it but um i think that this is i mean season's a wash i've said that like a million times at this point um I ex- texted you afterwards too. I expect within the next 36 hours, we're getting we're getting the announcement that Pochettino is going to be the next coach. Give the fans a little hopium before the end of the season. Um, I love and, and you know, I don't know. Like, like oh, the only thing that I just said it about Tottenham, but like realistically, um, the rest of the season doesn't matter. Like, I, it would be great for some guys to build confidence, I guess. But um, and it would be nice to see some of the younger players play, especially the guys who were signed in January. But results-wise, the rest of the season doesn't matter. Um, they're they're not they're just just about just about enough time or too little time to get relegated. So that is you know irrelevant. Honestly, like position in the table doesn't I honestly could not care where they finish in the table (laughs) as 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 long as it's not in the relegation zone obviously because of course course. and uh, and you know what if they if they finish in the relegation zone i'm tipping my cap the ultimate cap (laughs) tip is going to forest and and everton and and even southampton if they somehow are the team that gets out of there like i'm i'm tipping my cap to all those teams you know (laughs) so um 
but yeah, like the, the what matters most for Chelsea is what happens in the summer. I call me biased. I I still believe there's a lot of quality in the team. Like I I I think it's just constructed terribly right now, um, or nonsensically, I guess. And I don't think this team is that far away from being a top four contender again, not saying they're going to finish in the top four next season or not, not even necessarily saying they'll finish in the top four, two seasons from now, but from being a team that can finish in the top four, I, I think it's, I don't think it's that far off. I think a lot of it's going to depend on the actual like squad makeup. So players leaving maybe a couple players coming in, but the, the, the how the season ends doesn't matter. Really, really, it's really what happens in the summer, and that will tell you. Oh, that that's the only way to predict to have any normal prediction of how next season will go. Because anyone that could say that they that Chelsea were for sure be in this position next season, like is is honestly just talking from their <laughs> ass because there's no way to know. <laughs> No, there is. There isn't. Um, again, we're talking about a team that won the Champions League two years ago, uh, three years ago, two years, whatever it was, somewhere. In there. Yeah, um, two years. Yeah, two years ago, and I talked for a team that finished tenth in twenty sixteen and won the title the next season. Exactly. Won the title, finished tenth, won the title. Like, 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 <laughs> like this, this, this sport is, as we've said already today, like so silly. Like, things can change so fast, and and. I'd say the same about Tottenham. I think I did say the same about Tottenham. Like that, things can change very quickly. Um, mm-hmm. All right, en- enough of the enough of the sad sad <laughs> story. Uh, <laughs> the Arsenal side of this is that they were fantastic. Like they they were. They like, I know champions. I said before, like yeah, they they look like they look like a a, a team that can be a, can be champions. Um, I know I've said before that I don't think any win against this Chelsea side is impressive. I still kind of believe that, but. They were genuinely um, impressive in the sense of how kind of, yes, Chelsea made some things very easy for them, but like in the sense of how professional and, and how they just took advantage of all of, the, of Chelsea's weaknesses in, the, in that first half. Um, yes, the second half, they drop off a bit and, and, and Chelsea looked better in the second half, but I, I'm going to put that down to a lot more of like the score of the game being 3-0 and... And, and, you know, that's, that's normal, normal that that happens. Right. Um, so I, I think that that's a great bounce. That's a good bounce back from, what was that? Three straight games where they drew or two, two straight, three straight draws and one loss. Uh, so, so four winless for Arsenal. And that's a good tune up for a game against a real team this weekend, in Newcastle. That will be a, yeah. that will be an actually difficult game <laughs> away from Newcastle. Yeah, I mean, look, Arsenal up until this point have dropped more points than I can count in the last four games. And this felt like a game that put them back on track um, against, I'll put quality in quotes, um, but a a a team, certainly against a team, uh, mid-table team, that now is leading essentially to, like you said, like a warm-up or a build-up to a true top four contentious battle i don't think it helps arsenal quite frankly that this game i believe it's at st james's park um and i think the the one thing with 
Arsenal versus Newcastle that they will have to contend with like they did against City. How do you deal with your defensive structure, Arsenal? Do you go in this sort of man-to-man coverage against Newcastle's you know, front three-ish? Or do you back off a little bit more, sort of like you did when City were in transitions, and allow the pressure to come at you and rely on basically individual quality. Like it felt like that, that is what Arsenal and that's how Arsenal defended against city Newcastle. I don't think are that different to be honest. I think similar number of threats coming from, from midfield, from deep lying positions. I think we could talk about Isak all day. I could talk about Isak all day. I've how many times have I told you that I think the I know you want to, <laughs> I would love to, I've told you about him years ago. Um, but I think the point being like, how does Arsenal defend is going to be the ultimate question in this game against Newcastle this weekend. Um, that, that I think will ultimately decide this game, not, not Newcastle's, um, you know, wide play. I don't think it's going to be necessarily dictated in the midfield. I think it's truly going to be about Arsenal's defense. Um, so I don't know if you, if you think the same or usually you think differently. So <laughs> No, I'm I'm really it'll be interesting to see if you if it's Callum Wilson and Isaac starting um and man I could talk about that Isaac run against Everton this past weekend. I could actually talk about that for for a whole day. Um but what was what was really interesting about that is that he was on the pitch with Callum Wilson and there's a versatility to Isak's game that could really, I think, raise the potential of this Newcastle team. Um, that, that that raises it, like not even potential, like it raises it right now because that's how well he's playing. But his ability to play on the left side and kind of like cut inside, yeah, this is. This is a very loose comparison. I'm not saying he's as good as this player. Wait, but... wait, wait. Can I guess the player that you're about to compare him to? Yes. It's it's one of two players. It's either Ronaldo, like R9, or mm-hmm. it's Thierry Henry. It's it's Thierry Henry, yeah. Like the, the, R9, the R9 thing makes sense, too, because I, uh, I think dribbling, like as a dribbler, um, he's maybe uh, like closer to R9 than, than Thierry Henry. But in that kind of sense of playing he can play on the left wing he's cutting inside uh and gives you that the ability to have someone else play in the middle as well too right that can and and he and Cal Wilson have had a like, pretty good chemistry since Isak has come back into the side but even if it's not Callum Wilson and let's say player x that might get signed in the summer right it, it gives them the opportunity to go out and just and get like a more traditional center forward and have, you know, and be able to play Isaac on the left and a traditional center forward in the, in the middle. And that's really, really exciting, honestly. And, and, mm-hmm. um, and I, I'm thinking about like the potential of having him on the left there, Wilson or anyone else, or some other signing in the, in the middle. And then they could also, I, I mean, I still think they can upgrade on that right wing side. Um, yeah, not to say that Jacob Murphy and Miguel Almiron haven't had great seasons, but like the quality, like if they were to add like a Champions League level <laughs> right winger over there, and you have Isak on the left and Callum Wilson through the middle, like that's a yeah, really, really dangerous front three. Um, 
and for Arsenal, I think I think that it could cause them a lot of a lot of issues because they can play Newcastle can play more direct if they if necessary, right? And and they're pressing similarly, like very similar to I think a lot of like the structures that you see in Liverpool's pressing, right? And that caused Arsenal a lot of trouble at Anfield, right? And and I'd say that St James Park, even when Newcastle were a bottom half team, that was a really really hard place to go play and win and it's just gotten more and more daunting and and they i i genuinely think that that's up there with anfield maybe not in the champions league mystique because just simply liverpool are more uh, historically liverpool just had more of those opportunities but i i do think that that st james park is is every bit as difficult to play at as anfield so yeah no, I, I do agree with that. And I guess the the last piece that I'll say about Arsenal, Newcastle, et cetera, is Arsenal will go Newcastle and then Brighton, right? So it's not like this is going to get easier for them. We've talked at length about the difficulty of Arsenal's um, run-in. So we're going to have the same conversation next week, <laughs> basically. Yeah. You talk about a Brighton side that put six past the Wolves this past weekend and and – Gosh, those are some unbelievably good goals, and in a game where they where they rested Caicedo and Matoma, like neither of those guys started that game, and they were up they were up five nil, I think it was before either of them subbed on in the second half. <laughs> so, like, uh, man, like it's it's unbelievable the level. Like, obviously the level of players, and I think what is so amazing about that Brighton size like you look at all almost all those players what they're all I've seen other people say this they're all so technically secure on the ball like they, it's really hard to to get the ball off of them like they're all very very sound technical players and that makes things so much easier for everyone else when it's just like I can give you the ball and you're not gonna dribble try to dribble out of pressure and lose it um, or you're gonna, or you're not gonna, or you're gonna make a very stupid pass or something like that, right? Like, there's so much trust I think between that between the teammates, um, in Brighton and just, I mean, obviously we've talked about Deserve and like the level of coaching, like it, the level of coaching in the league in general. It's just, like this this team is gonna finish in that like sixth to eighth range most likely, um, and they looked like one of the best teams in Europe for like five months. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, some, some of the results have been absolutely wild, both for better and for worse, right? The six mm-hmm. goal route of Wolves we talked about just now, but um, I feel like there also have been games throughout the season where we thought Brighton should have won and they absolutely did not. To your yeah. point about uh, looking like such a great team and being in kind of like a Europa League type place. Um I do want to transition Rian away from these teams back towards relegation battle. Um, t- two teams that continue to just the, this is the definition I think of a game exuding and exhibiting just teams presenting who they are exactly who they are. Just, just not very good mediocre squads. <laughs> the, I, I, I mean, I we were talking about 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 uh, 
athletes playing drunk in a game. Like, like, <laughs> I mean, what an unbelievably entertaining game this was. Um, Lester Everton two two draw. Yeah. Oh man! Like the <laughs> if what the moment that typifies the situation that both of these teams are in like so well is I is uh Everton attacking they get they easily get through Leicester's midfield and <clears throat> I can't remember who squares the pass to him but someone squares the pass to Dominic Calvert-Lewin fully open net he goes to to tap it in and kicks it like almost parallel to the left uh, and and right back to the goalkeeper. Twenty seconds later, the ball is down the other end of the pitch. Jamie Vardy is in on Jamie Vardy, turning Michael Keane inside out like a corkscrew, and Michael Keane's sixty-year-old hips not being able to to stay with this ancient like Sandman <laughs> Jamie Vardy is still somehow running past all of their defenders. And he chips the, the keeper. And... <laughs> Sorry, I got an image of uh, of Night at the Museum or whatever that mummy movie is as well. I, like, oh, the mummy, yeah, I think yeah. It, like, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> Sad man. But, but after after making Michael Keaton do the fucking twister, he he <laughs> chips the keeper and and hits and hits the crossbar. Like I was like this moment typifies your two seasons like just amazingly um it, it was a, it was such a it was a really entertaining game but man like that that didn't feel like we were watching modern soccer it was felt like a basketball game um and no, it was like we were watching a championship game yeah yeah oh. really really honestly um and it's so it's one that Again, doesn't really help either side. A draw does not help any of the teams in the bottom five, at least right now. Um, and you know who it does I, help, I, though? With obviously a loss this past weekend against Crystal Palace, but it does help West Ham and certainly yeah. helps Crystal Palace. So not to say that they were really in that much risk anymore, but if there are teams that help. I mean, I, I still think that West Ham are – are in a bit of risk. I, I think they'll end up being okay. And, and I'm still holding that. I think 35 points will be enough. Um, but yeah, they're about, they're about four points ahead of, of Nottingham Forest who are in 18th right now. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. Like I, <laughs> Severton side is, uh, I mean, I, I guess it's just stuck to my guns. Beginning of the season, I did I did say they brought in, like, James Tarkowski and, and Dwight McNeil, two guys who'd gotten relegated with, <laughs> with Burnley. <laughs> and so it was like, it sure seems like you guys are getting ready for a relegation battle. And lo and behold, here we are. Here we are. They yeah. are fully in it. Um, it, it I, I still can't predict. I still, I still really cannot predict who I think is going to go down. Um, <laughs> it's, it's looking... I, I, every time I want to say, okay, well, definitely Leeds are going to drop into that bottom three here. Then someone between Forrest and Everton don't end up like being able to pick up the points to pull them out themselves out of the relegation <laughs> zone. So uh, I I can't predict this. Um, it's a obviously a big weekend for Leeds, especially after losing four one to Bournemouth and 
obviously like huge props to Gary O'Neill and, and Bournemouth and um, Flowers uh, throughout there as well for Dominic Solanke on Bournemouth, who's who was a former Chelsea Academy player. Very, very nice center forward. Like really, really good, really good technical players and that Bournemouth attack, honestly. And, and they look like, their attacking players at least look like they are Premier League quality players. And and I think um, I think that'll be a huge achievement for them to stay up. Um, we talked about Leicester Everton, Leeds, obviously losing that game to Bournemouth. They play City next. They are about to sack Javi Garcia. They have. Um, they have. Oh, gosh. And, big, and Sam Allardyce is coming in. And what year is this? And, <laughs> I, and I'm just like, I. this lead side is so bad. It's so bad. Their their defenders are so poor. Like, they are not Premier League level defenders. Um, the... I, I mean, I said it from the jump that a double pivot of Maraca and and McKenny would go poorly, and it is. And I mean, yeah, when you then, don't have Tyler yeah. Adams on the field, like his his injury, like yeah, also underplay that. It, it of course, it oh yeah, of course, of course, their their yeah. offensive output. A hundred percent, hundred percent. Um, because I, I, I and I did think that I thought that like a, a midfield three of Raka, Adams, and McKenny would would be good enough to keep them up for sure but yeah now they're obviously playing a bit hamstrung um and they don't get enough from their attackers either like like it's 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 really a terrible recipe um <laughs> from the fourth i mean so anyway leeds play city force play southampton this weekend you know another we got another six pointer down here um uh, lesser play fulham and Everton play Brighton next, so I who knows who knows like I like this. The only team you can be fairly certain of going down is Southampton, and that's pretty much it. Yep, completely agree. Well, Rian, I think that that wraps up everything with the Premier League. Uh, shall we shift focus very briefly and talk about uh, what's going on? around the rest of Europe, to be honest. One thing I, I wanted to mention before we also get to Spain is uh, it's partially related to Spain in some ways. Um, PSG have banned Lionel Messi for two weeks from footballing activities. I guess that includes playing games and uh, I'm assuming practice as well for a uh, previously contracted trip to Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia for tourism sponsorship type events. Um, not to... Not to like throw PSG under the bus, but very deliberately to throw PSG under the bus. <laughs> you're you're they're still in like a title race. And I tweeted about this earlier. Like Marseille are only five points behind, and Lionel Messi has arguably been your second best player. So if they end up somehow losing Liga, this this could backfire horrendously. <laughs> <laughs> it just feels like something that you do for a player you know has zero chance of being on your team next season <laughs> like what's yeah. the like uh, they're a mess a mess like i like i i have there's there's nothing i could say there like they're about to they're gonna win the they're so likely gonna win the title right but um they're gonna win the title and be so much more dysfunctional than they were a year ago 
than they were two years ago when they won the when they when they finished second to Lille, right? Like, and not not just that they were they were also going into the Mbappe saga. So, like, there it somehow feels even worse. I mean, I say it's related to Spain because obviously there's conversations about Messi coming back and. Uh, we learned today that Matteo Alemania, who's Barcelona's sporting director, is leaving. Rumors of disagreements about sporting direction, for example, bringing Messi back, being a part of it. So, like, there's this whole intertwined saga along with, like, a pseudo-diplomatic proxy war that involves the best player in footballing history, which is a really weird position to be in. I can't really explain that. Um, I'm, of course, I'm sure we'll learn more about this over the coming days, but just a wild circumstance that I felt felt deserved addressing or at least mentioning because there's nothing to address. I'm just confused. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm just trying to figure out, does, does this mean that uh, I'm going to be watching Messi play at, at Subaru Park in, in a few months or not? <laughs> Miami, here we come. Oh, I mean, my God. I, you know, the, the funny thing, I don't know if you've seen this recently, but, Argentina are setting up a headquarters in Miami by the end of this year. Mm, interesting. The Argentina, the Argentina FA setting up a headquarters in Miami. <laughs> I'm sure that partially is a for scouting purposes, but also. Oh yeah, like, yeah. I mean, that's that's the messaging, of course, of course. But and, and I can understand that, but but that is extremely convenient. The timing of that. <laughs> anyway. Um, Rian, to, to touch on everything going on in La Liga, Real Madrid and Barcelona both play today. Atletico play tomorrow. Um, we'll start with Barcelona really quickly. A 1-0 win against an Osasuna side that kind of played their B team ahead of the Copa del Rey final against Real Madrid this upcoming weekend. Real Madrid sort of did a similar thing in, in resting a lot of key players ahead of that final. Uh, and of course, their Champions League semifinal next week against um, Manchester City. Barcelona squeaked out like a win that honestly, I don't know how they didn't score by like four, um, but somehow Jordi Alba was the one to get on the score sheet. And now after Real Madrid actually lost today to, to Sociedad, they could very well not only win the league in their next game, which is just under two weeks away, they could win the league away at arch rivals Espanyol and also potentially send them down into relegation. <laughs> like that is that is the probably the most historic like way to win a title unless it was like against Real Madrid in in the Bernabeu. Like that's the only other potential like scenario that you could you could write it up. So just um it, it feels like Barcelona are sort of limping towards this league title to be honest. Um I think they're yeah, just it, it happened. There. Happen, yeah right yeah, like uh, yeah that it's not i mean not too dissimilar to what i was saying earlier in the um as we saw in the chelsea arsenal game and, and Tottenham liverpool game when you're up three goals so you're up by, by an amount that seems insurmountable um it's very easy to like mentally drop off a bit right mm -hmm. and and maybe that's what we're seeing with <clears throat> with barcelona and also doesn't help that Pedri has been out for a lot of these games, right? Like it's a completely different team <laughs> without him. There is a very clear correlation between we've talked about a little bit this season, Pedri being on the field points, Pedri not being on the field, no points or only one. Um, yeah. His, his return is absolutely huge. I will also shout out um, a special moment that happened this past weekend on Saturday. Um, 
I almost said Real Madrid, Barcelona beating Real Betis uh, 4-0. Um, and in this game, Betis picked up their 13th red card of the season. Just a stupid number of red cards throughout this entire season. Um, and Joaquin came on in this game later in the second half and actually had to go off in about t- maybe five or 10 minutes after being on, I think with a, a knee injury or muscle pull, something like that. It potentially could have been his last La Liga game ever. I really hope it's not. But in that same game, I actually don't know if they were on for the same time. In that same game, Barcelona debuted 15-year-old Lamine Yamal, a juvenile A or B player. I have to double-check that. Um, who is the youngest Barcelona La Liga debutant in history, now surpassing Atsu Fati, who was 16 when he made his, his debut. And the kid almost had an assist and a goal like he's freakishly good and he's Brian, he's 10 years younger than us he was born in 2007 that's disgusting <laughs> that's actually yeah, absurd <laughs> absolutely ridiculous oh man just makes me I, I, that's the, all. I, was, I was i was also gonna say um that is now Another clean sheet for um, Barcelona and Marc-Andre Ter Stegen. 11 goals conceded this season so far. What? what I can't remember. You said it before, but what was the record or is the record? Yeah, so, so Ter Stegen, and, and I feel like this is more of a commentary on Barcelona's defense than it is Ter Stegen specifically, although I, I think Ter Stegen's had a wonderfully good season. Um, his, it coincided conveniently with getting a hair transplant plan at some point earlier in the season or last summer so maybe there's something to be said there i will say they have barcelona in the league uh this season have conceded 11 goals which is i believe on track to be an all-time low but most importantly i would say two things one ter stegen has now surpassed subizaretta for most clean sheets in all the campaign so he has 25 and I believe the ultimate record in Spain and across Europe is uh, 28. I have to double check. Um, and we still have about four or five games to go in La Liga at least. So he very well could go on and break that record, which is absurd. The other thing I'll mention is Ter Stegen has not conceded a single open play goal at home this entire season. One was a penalty against Espanyol that he can, conceded, and then the other was an own goal. So only two goals have actually gone in against Barcelona in the league this season, um, which, again, I don't think we should be underplaying that. That's an absurd defensive record. Um, and we can talk about Europe. We can talk about the 4-0 against Real Madrid. Those are definitely problems. But, like, you know the cliche, defense wins championships. <laughs> yeah, I think it's real. <laughs> so, Yeah. I mean, it, it's been the diff. That is the difference. If you if you had to, I, I know if there's 14 points difference between Real Madrid and, and and Barcelona, but 21 goals conceded fewer than um, than Real Madrid for for Barcelona, which matters a lot when you consider that they've scored nine fewer goals than Real Madrid. 100. percent Yeah, couldn't agree more. Well, with that, the only other thing Real I'll mention is Real Madrid losing out to Real Sociedad. They looked like this second best side in that game it was not even really a contest they're very much in 
let's win a trophy this weekend and let's go on and see if we can knock out the juggernauts that are Manchester City. Probably won't. Um, but oh yeah, by the way, I've shifted my tone towards them. Maybe I can tell. Knocking out I can tell. <laughs> because uh, uh, look, since I've basically said I think Real Madrid could be the team that potentially stop Erling Holland because I thought Militao and Rudiger were in such fine form. Since I've quite literally made those comments, they have conceded eight goals in four games, three games. So they've completely shit the bed. <laughs> Thank, thanks, guys. Like the one time I support this arch rival of mine, just <laughs> ridiculous, man. And then also Valencia um, lost to Cadiz on Sunday, and they're in a serious relegation battle now. Uh, but Sevilla are, are practically out of it, so that's that's all I've got. The Real Madrid just pissed me off in every way. <laughs> I, all right, if you have to predict next week. What's the midfield for Real Madrid? against city oh that's you know you know i like that question that's a very good question um i am gonna throw the the sociedad uh midfield kind of out of the the picture because it was cross chumeni and Dan Ceballos. if Dan Ceballos sees a second in 180 <laughs> minutes then madrid must be down by either down by six or up by six goals like that's that's anyway yeah. <laughs> i think i think i think you have to look at who did not play in this game and point them towards both the copa del or them playing in the copa del rey final and the um the game against Manchester city so i think it will be tony kroos i think it will be luka modric um or excuse me i think it will be luka modric i think it will be kamavinga and i think it will be um i i i want to lean towards tony kroos as well being that that third um but I, there's a part of me that wonders if Ancelotti will lean towards some experiment where too many plays at the same time. It, I would almost, I would almost test Ancelotti and say, is this the time for like a double pivot between those two? I, I, I would be very curious if, if that's an experiment he runs with. But I, I would say it would probably be still Luka Modric, Tony Kroos, and Kamavinga. That, that would be my guess. Yeah, I I guess my question that will be for I guess if for Ancelotti, who are you most comfortable with in the event that you have thirty percent of the ball? Because that's most likely what's going to happen. And I know I would not want Tony Cruz and Luka Modric on the pitch if I'm only having thirty percent of the ball. I know, and the problem is like football heritage, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I hope he I, again. I hope he does it. I hope he does it, man. I oh man, no one is praying for this for the for like a hammering of this Real Madrid team than me. I honestly, it'll be like three years in the making. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, let me think more on that. Uh, kind of like over the next couple of days, but I I think my guess would be right in terms of who he plays. Will that be the right choice? I I I agree with you. I don't think it would. I would like to see Chouameni and Kamavinga on the field at the same time. Otherwise, Madrid might just get run through, like, over and over again. Whew. Oh, wow. Um, I think that's that's pretty much it. Alice, should we get out of here? Yeah, let's get out of here. I'm going to see if I can turn on. Um, I haven't watched the Sunday episode of Succession yet, so I'm glad we didn't talk about it because I still need to get to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go watch it now. Nice with a... With a, like a, a bowl of dinner, that's that's gonna be my vibe. Oh, that sounds lovely. 
<laughs> All right, everyone. Thank you, as always, for listening. We will be back next week after the Copa del Rey final, like I mentioned, after City probably absolutely batter leads um, and everything else that happens across Europe. So thank you, as always, for listening, and we'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks, guys.